We're in this series called Gospel Fluency. And if you've been here all three weeks, that's, that's, that's great. We're in week number four. If you haven't been, let me kind of catch you up. Foundational to this series is this concept of fluency. That, that um, in order to be fluent in a language, you've got to be kind of immersed in that language, in that culture. Uh, as, a, as a child, when you become fluent in a language, it's because you hear it, you begin to speak it, you begin to think it, and that's how you kind of process information in, in terms of being fluent in that language. When you learn a new language, language. Uh, Chris talked about how do you know when you're fluent? It's when you start to dream in that language, you know, that, that you're there and you get that. If we talk about, uh, uh, about, what it, about being fluent and how important that is, we, we also talk about this fact that while we want to be fluent in the gospel, all of us don't fully believe every part of the gospel because we show it in the ways that we live. We may agree with it mentally, but it's not showing itself that we trust God fully, that we believe him at his word, that, that, uh, that when God speaks, we don't always obey. So I'm an unbeliever, and so are you. And, and so that's, that's critical to helping us understand how this whole gospel fluency works, that we need to work at being fluent in the gospel. Last week we talked about the components that really make up the gospel story, that uh, it, probably at its most basic level we would say the gospel is the story of Jesus, but in reality there are four different components to that. The first component is creation, that God made this incredibly, uh, incredibly cool world uh, so that his creation could be in relationship with him. And, and it was unbelievable until sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, everything blew up. And it was no longer beautiful. It was, uh, it was broken. And um, that brokenness uh, was, was a horrible thing. God still wanted to be in relationship with his creation. And so he sent a redeemer. He sent Jesus to take all of that brokenness all of that mess on himself. He came, he lived a life that was sinless. He went to the cross, and at the cross as he died, he took all of that and made a way for that to go away. That's the, that's the redemption part of the story. But there's also a new creation that happens after redemption. For us, it's easy for us to kind of just stop the, at the redemption place if you're a follower of Jesus. That's not the end of the gospel at all. The end of the gospel is this process that we live where God is transforming our lives, transforming our hearts, transforming the ways that we think. He's changing us. That's the new creation part of the gospel story, and, and it's critical. Um, you, you know... Uh, have you ever had one of those moments in life where somebody says something and you think, uh, yeah, that's self-evident. That's just, yeah, that makes perfect sense. But then you think, you know, I don't know that I've ever really thought about the magnitude of that. This message really has two of those statements that, that, that are plain and simple. You'll get it right away. But Applying it in the context of being gospel fluent is what it's all about. The, the, the truth that's there. Um, when you're gospel fluent, you're going to be able to converse in the language of the gospel, which means that you're going to talk about what you love. You're going to talk about what you love. Um, you know, that's, that's true in every aspect of our lives. 
Let me ask a question. Uh, parents, when you had a child, did you have a class at the hospital about how to talk about your child, your new child? Did the, you know, did they send you home and uh, give you a class and say, okay, this is what, this is the way you talk about you? No, not at all. Grandparents. Well, you know, when grandchildren were born, did you, did you have to learn how to talk about these Perfectly wonderful, angelic, um, incredibly intelligent, the best, right? No. It just comes normal because we talk about what we love. It's a normal part of what we do and, and how we do it. We talk about the things that we're passionate about, the things that we invest our lives in, the things that, that capture our attention, that we think about. Um, sometimes even we talk so much that... Uh, that we talk more about what we love than people are ready to listen for, right? Anybody ever been that been there? I remember so clearly when our oldest uh, child, when our daughter Leah was born, our firstborn, we went through the Lamaze class, uh, you know, did all the stuff. The nurse is preparing us for everything that's going to happen when the baby's born. Watched the movie about childbirth. That was cool. Um, but when she was born, it for me, it was like, this is the most incredible experience ever. I'm holding this new baby just filled with love and, and, and just seeing the way that everything happened. And so, you know, I leave the hospital, go home and I talk on the phone, I'm calling people and, and, and I started to describe everything that happened in the childbirth process. Now, it was incredibly cool for me as an observer. I'm not sure for, the, um, uh, for Deb, for women, as you go through that, you would use that word to describe it. But I start talking in great detail about all the stuff that had happened because it so captured me and I was so filled with love for this baby. The following Sunday, I went to church and kind of did the same thing and it didn't take very long before people's eyes kind of said, uh, mm, no, too much information, right? You, you don't want to go there in terms of talking that. But we talk about the stuff that we love. We don't need any coaching on that. Um, we need to be sensitive to the people around us, but it is the most natural thing in the world to tell the story of what God is doing in our lives. Jesus described it this way in, in Luke chapter 6. Jesus said, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. We talk about the things that we love. The stuff that's stored up inside us is just going to spill out naturally. There's a great example of this in, in uh, John chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, uh, go ahead and open there because I'm going to kind of tell the story. I'm not going to read it all except for a couple of verses at the end. But uh, if you want to follow along, it'll, it'll make a lot more sense. In John chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples are traveling through Judea and they're, they're traveling to another area and they have to go through Samaria. Samaria was this, uh, was this area that was filled with people who were racial half-breeds with the Jews and there was tremendous racial tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. Jesus had his disciples take that path and go through there. And, um, and at about noon, they stop uh, in this town, and Jesus sits down at the well. The disciples go off to buy some food, and this woman comes uh, to take water out of the well. Um, Jesus says to her, to this woman, as she's there ready to, to draw water, will you give me a drink? And, um, and uh, she said, 
why are you talking to me? Why are you asking me? You're a Jew, you're a man, I'm a Samaritan, I'm a woman. We don't talk, what's this about? And Jesus said, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me for water because I can give you living water. And, um, and, the, and the Samaritan woman says, uh, wait, wait a second, I don't get this. You don't have any way to get water out of the well. What you're saying doesn't make any sense at all. And Jesus says, everybody who drinks water from this well is going to be thirsty again. But if you drink the water that I give you, you will never thirst because it's living water. Uh, And the woman said, give me some of that water. That's what I want. So I don't so I won't get thirsty again, so I won't have to come back to this well each day. And Jesus says to her, okay, you know what, go ahead, go, go get your husband and bring him back. And she said, you know what, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, uh, yep, you're right, you don't have a husband, you've had five husbands, the guy you're living with is not your husband at all. And the woman d- then does kind of what we do when we're um, uh, pretty nervous about somebody getting too close to us. She starts... Uh, a conversation about something else. She talks about the temple and how to worship and all that kind of stuff. She diverts the conversation away from her because it's getting way too personal for her. Um, and uh, finally, she says, um, she says, because of the, this theological conversation that, that Jesus then gives her an answer to, she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. When the Messiah comes, he's going to explain everything to us. And Jesus looks at her and says, that's me. I'm the Messiah. That's why I can give you living water. And um, disciples come back. They have a conversation with Jesus. And in verse 28 of John chapter 4, it says this. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And the whole town comes out and makes their way towards Jesus. This woman was so captured by what Jesus said, by the, 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 this relationship that she started with him in just sitting around the well, that she couldn't help but talk about what God was doing in her. The whole concept that the, that the Messiah was there potentially, she, she said, you've got to come here. You've got to come see what's going on. She was talking about something that she loved. Now, now, it's easy in a message where, where, where we're talking about, talking about things you love for you, if you've been a part of the church for a long time, to think, oh, this is a message about evangelism. And it's not. It's not, an, it's not a message about an evangelistic tool. It's not, a, um, it's not primarily directed at people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's if you have a relationship with Jesus, understand this. You can't help but talk about him if you love him. Um, it's the most natural thing in the world for me to talk about my wife, to talk about my kids, to talk about playing racquetball, to talk about the Ohio State University, right? It's the most natural. It, it just comes easy. I, I don't even have to think about it. <laughs> Luke chapter 6, right, Bruce? Uh, We'll get there. Um, When we talk about the things that we love, we have to be sensitive to the people around us, right? Um, 
It's not about talking down to people. It's not talking about condescending. It's, it's not telling what God's been teaching and saying, oh, I remember when I was like you, when I didn't know that. It's not that at all. Because that, that, that condescending spirit, that only creates barriers. But when you tell the story of what God is doing in your life, when you, when you talk about the things that you're wrestling with, about what it means to follow Jesus, when you talk about G- how Jesus is transforming you, that's the most natural conversation in the world. It's not uncommon at all for you with someone that you know and love to say, have you ever thought about this particular thing? I, this is spinning around in my mind. Have you ever thought about that? It's the most natural thing in the world. Um, We talk about what we love, about what's on our minds, what's consuming our thoughts. But sometimes we don't talk about Jesus because our love has grown cold, right? Can you, can your, let me ask a question. Can your love for your spouse, for your husband or wife, grow cold? If you've been married for any amount of time at all, you know the answer to that's yes. How does that happen? It happens because you stop spending time together. Because you stop communicating with, us, with each other. It's because you stop um, seeing your spouse in the eyes of other people and seeing, oh man, they are so kind and compassionate. I just, I just have missed that. You stop laughing with them or crying with them and seeing things from their eyes. You begin to live your own life and just stop paying attention to the person that you've pledged your love to. It's easy for your love to grow cold. Is it possible to fall out of love with God? Absolutely. How does it happen? It happens the exact same way. We stop spending time with Him. We stop communicating with Him. We stop just being in His presence and enjoying being with Him. We stop seeing the world through His eyes and having our heart moved by the things that move the heart of God. It may be today that as we talk about talking about the things that we love, that you think, you know what, I, I really, I've really let my relationship with Jesus get stagnant. I, I've let my relationship just kind of grow cold. What do, what do I do about that? I'm not talking about Jesus because I'm just not thinking about him at all. About 10 years ago, there was a, 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 a survey that was done by Willow Creek Community Church that's now been, it's now been done by literally hundreds of thousands of people from around the world, um, people who are followers of Jesus. And in this particular survey, they were looking for all kinds of information, but one thing I want to share out of that, that that I think is significant to us today. When your faith, they, the question that they ask is, have you experienced a period in the last year where, where your relationship with, with God has grown cold, where, where your relationship with Jesus has grown stagnant? And if so, and you've come out of that, what were the factors that helped you get out of that being stagnant? Does that make sense? How, how, how do you get out of that funk when, when you've drifted away from God? Um, here are the results of that survey that, that, are, that are really incredible. 61%, three out of five people that said that they'd come out of it, that um, one of the factors was that they had reengaged in spiritual practices. They had started to read the Bible again. They had started to pray again. Maybe they had started to fast or, or to spend some time in solitude, some time alone. They recultivated that relationship with God, and that got them out of that stagnant place. 
uh, real simple thing. If, if that's where you are, let me, let me just encourage you. This is something tiny, but something that you can do. Just go to one, one of the four Gospels. Start today and just read that Gospel over and over again, maybe two or three times this week. And when you start to see Jesus with fresh eyes, all of a sudden, you'll start to hear him speak and you'll be drawn to him in an incredibly cool way. Um, uh, a third of the people, 32%, said, you, you know what got me out of my stagnancy? It was a personal crisis. Somebody died. You know, the, something horrible happened. Now, when I, when I was looking at this, I thought, oh, who wants to go through a personal crisis to not be stagnant in their relationship with Jesus anymore? Mm, not anybody. You know, that's not fun. That's when your life is blown up and falling apart. We, we can choose to be back in relationship, to build that relationship, to, to just grow in our love for him. Um, uh, 28% said, I met somebody who inspired me, what we would call a disciple-making friendship. Um, here at North Point. I met somebody who walked with me and helped me, uh, helped inspire me to, to walk with Jesus more closely. Um, 28% said, you know what, a change in circumstances helped do that. Maybe a job change or a move or I, I got married or I, I had a baby, something like that. That change in life uh, occurrence impacted uh, my relationship with Jesus. And 18%, one, one in five said that they participated in counseling or some kind of support uh, group of people that helped walk with them to reinvigorate their relationship with Jesus. That's why Celebrate Recovery, life groups, um, grief share, uh, are so important. Surrender the secret. Uh, uh, That's why those are so important to us because they help drive us back into relationship with Jesus and help, help us see him again in fresh eyes and fall in love with him. Because we talk about what we love. We talk about who we love. It's the most natural thing in the, in the world. It's easy to fall away. Revelation chapter 2 says this, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. What are the things that you did at first? You fell in love with Jesus. You spent time with him. You listened to him. You thought about him. You listened to his word. You spent time with his family, with other followers of Jesus, and you talked about him. You, uh, you know, when you first fell in love with Jesus, when you first came in relationship with him, you talked about him all the time because he was changing your world. Second, second point of the message is this. You love what you talk about. When you start talking about a particular thing in life, your affection for that thing or that person grows. It happens just naturally. Uh, in 1985, Deb and I moved to uh, Maryland um, from Columbus, and I, I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, 50 miles from Cincinnati. I grew up uh, being a Cincinnati Bengals fan, NFL. So I, uh, every year, got to go to a Bengals game. It was a cool thing. It was, it was great. You know, it was great. Uh, during that time, the Bengals got to a Super Bowl in there. Um, it was really fun. So we moved to D.C., and um, when I interviewed at this church in Maryland, I, re- I remember so clearly being there, and this, this older woman um, said to me as I'm leaving the service on the day that I'm interviewing, and she said, I got a question for you. I said, okay. And she said, if you move here, will you cheer for the Redskins? Uh, um, and then she said, because it might change how I vote. Um, 
She was great. Um, and I said, Dottie, you know, I think I can cheer for the Redskins as long as they don't play the Bengals. And she said, okay, I'll take that. Well, you know, we live in Washington, D.C. Um, a crazy thing about the culture there is that there, there's not a real strong presence of college football there. And so in, during football season, everything is about the Redskins. Um, but I would cheer for the Bengals, even though they were doing terrible, went through that whole process. Uh, fast forward two years to the, to the 1987 season. And in the 1987 season, the, the Redskins started to do really well. It ultimately uh, culminated with them winning the Super Bowl with Doug Williams as a quarterback. Um, it, it was a great time. And I remember so clearly... Um, going to bed on that Sunday night after the Super Bowl and thinking, I have become a Redskins fan. I have become a Redskins fan. Why did that happen? Because I was talking about the Redskins with everybody around. It was the only thing people talked about. They talked about Doug Williams. They talked about Art Monk. They talked about Joe Gibbs. They talked about all this stuff. What you love, you talk about. But what you talk about, you love. The more you talk about a person or a thing or a, a, a passion that you have, the more your affection grows for that. The more we talk about Jesus, it, it, it wells up inside us, this affection for him, because we get to talk about what he's doing in our lives. Understand that your story, when you tell your story to people, it's powerful, because it's your story. You're able to reflect on what God has done in your life. And when you tell that story, your appreciation, your love for Jesus grows over and over again. What's that story? What's the gospel story? It's creation, the fall, redemption, and new creation. In that story, that's God's story, God's relationship with us. And it's our story of our lives as well. I want you to um, just welcome Jamie Bohr up on stage. Jamie's going to come. I ask her. Um, I ask if, if she would this morning just kind of tell her story. You've seen her on stage um, leading worship lots and lots and lots. But probably not very many of you have heard her story and how God's worked in her life. Well, hi, everybody. <laughs> a little different situation for me up here. No guitar. No guitar. <laughs> um, so I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my parents were both very faithful people. My mom is probably the most faithful person I've ever met in my life. And uh, grew up in the church from day one I went to church. I you know, was at Sunday school. I was there like three times a week. Very, very, very much involved. And in third grade, I started even singing in church um, and did it throughout the years and more and more in singing and, and the music part of it. And around 15 or age 15 or so, I started even, you know, leading worship with the praise team. And um, but then also during those years started to fall away as well. And getting into things that, you know, situations that I shouldn't have put myself in. And I started dating um, a guy who was not a believer, not a Christian, not, uh, Jesus was not a part of his life at all. He had never set foot in a church until he met me. <laughs> and um, we started doing things that we really should not have been doing. 
And during this time, I'm still still involved in the church, and I'm um, leading and singing and stuff, and shouldn't have been, but um, we were getting ready to go to college. He was going to follow me to the college that I was going to. I had a music scholarship, and um, he was following me there. And about two weeks before um, we were supposed to leave, we had our rooms and everything, um, we found out that I was pregnant. And our whole world changed from that moment on. All that hard work that I had done for the music scholarship and everything, that was, it was gone at that point. Um, our, my sin was out there for the whole world to see. And I was 17 years old. And um, we had talked about getting married, but we were not going to get married for a while because we were going to school. And um, once my church found out um, about it, they basically shunned me. And I felt like that woman in John 8 who was standing there and is about to be stoned because of her sin. And for me, in my mind, that was where the story ended. Like, they're just standing here and they're about to stone me. And the rest of it is not there. I am ashamed. I am worthless now. Um, but we decided to get married and in a roundabout way, we started to see Jesus working in our lives and in a roundabout way that we ended up with a pastor who, um, would do our counseling, our premarital counseling, um, because the pastor I grew up with would not marry us. And, um, we met with him in one of those sessions. He ended up leading, who is my now husband, to the Lord. And we still are in contact with that man. And um, he was a great influence in our life. So we started to see Jesus working in our lives in the midst of our sin and, um, and the fact that I felt so ashamed. And... During that time, though, because of all of that, I fell away. I fell away. I pushed church away. I wasn't singing anymore, which was not me. And um, my mom would always ask me, did you go to church today? And I would say, no, too busy, whatever. And God started nudging me, and he knew what would get me back there, and that was music. And so we ended up at this church. It was my great aunt's church. And I went there for her. She was the only reason I went there at first. And it was a church of like 50 people in Traverse City. That's where we're from. And those 50 people impacted our life. God used those people more than they even know. And they showed us the true love of Christ. And I know that they did the math. They weren't dumb. <laughs> but I was always afraid that somebody was going to do that because I didn't, want to, I didn't want anybody to know. I was a pregnant teen because that was a horrible thing in my mind. And uh, so being there, we, um, we grew in Christ together there. Um, we've gone on to have several children together, but um, during that time, Through those years, God also opened doors up for my husband that we never, ever, ever thought was going to be possible because of this situation that we had put ourselves in. 
And he basically like shoved him through the door and opened doors for him to be in a career that we thought was long not possible. And he did end up being, um, being able to finish that. And that career is what brought us here. And during that time, when we came here, I still, in the back of my mind, am completely ashamed and thinking God could never use me in a ministry, never fully use me in a ministry. And, um, and when he brought me here, he put people in our lives that don't even realize the impact that they had on me. He brought some very godly women into my life. And some of them don't even go here anymore. And they helped me to realize and remember that God forgave me a long time ago. He took my sin. He died for my sins. And once I remembered that and and remembered that Jesus still loved me and I was still worth something to him, um, there was a freedom that I hadn't felt in a very, very long time. And through all of that, you know, he's opened doors for me in a ministry that I absolutely love because I love to do this for him. And he's opened doors in that that I never, ever, ever thought were possible. So that's it. Thanks. Do you hear the gospel in Jamie's story? Creation, great stuff. Fall that creates brokenness that can only be solved by a redeemer, by by Jesus coming and taking all of that on himself. And then this process that's being lived out even now, this new creation phase where God is in the business of transforming us, changing the ways that we think, changing the ways that we act. Um, you know, when you think about telling your story, lots, lots of times, it, it, I'm not talking about telling your story up on stage, I'm talking about telling your story to the person that you work with. Or maybe somebody in your family that you've never really ha- had a chance to, sh- to share that with. For a lot of us, um, we say, ah, I, I don't know that I can do that. I don't even know what to say. I don't, I, I don't know how to, I don't know, I don't know how to talk about that. Think back for a second to that whole concept we, um, we love, what, what we talk about we love, Right? It, it, we, if you just start talking about Jesus and sharing what he's doing in you, God will open up that door. Sometimes we're afraid and sometimes we, um, we say, you know what, I'm not going to do that because I'm worried about what other people are going to think. I'm worried about, you know what, if I share my faith, I might lose my job. If I share my faith, what's going to be the result of that? What's, what's going to happen? You understand that when we, when we don't tell our story particularly in relationships, I'm not talking about in the workplace, that kind of thing, but in the relationships that we have with people because we're afraid of what what they're going to think, we make an idol out of our reputation. We make an idol out of the friendship that we have, that we think, you know what, if I tell them them my story about what God's doing in my life, I'll I'll lose them as a friend. Do you understand that when, when that becomes the obstacle, 
We've taken God off the throne. God has promised that he would give us the right words in the right setting. Um, he's, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Um, and, and he says, you know what, I'm sending you out and you're going you're gonna to tell my story. You're, you're going to talk about your relationship with me. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to get arrested. You're going to get flogged. All kinds of bad stuff is going to happen to you. Um, uh, Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 11, when you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, don't worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you'll say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. None of us have a script for how to talk about our kids, our grandkids. None of us have a script to talk about whatever it is that we're passionate about in life. We just do it. When we take that step and begin to talk about what God is doing in our lives, the Holy Spirit will come in, and I'll tell you what happens um, more times than not. We tell our story. We know our story. It's, it's, it's our story. It's really ultimately God's story. We tell our story, and you start telling it, and, and, and you tell things, you say things you never even thought of before. And the person that you're talking to, that's exactly what they needed to hear because the Holy Spirit is the one who's given you the words. Jamie's story is not Jamie's story. It's God's story, right? It's the gospel. Our story is not our story. It's God's story. It is creation, fall, uh, redemption, new creation. That's God's story. That's the gospel being lived out in us. And we get a chance to talk about it. Um, You know, if you're in the middle of the redemption part of the story, if, if right now you're thinking... Man, Jesus is tugging at my heart. And I don't know whether I I don't know whether I can let him have control or not. There is no better time to talk about what's going on in your heart than right now. Because when, once you've been redeemed, everything changes and it just spills out into every aspect of your life. It may be that that's not where you are, that you're in the new creation phase. You've been a follower of Jesus. You've accepted the redemption that can only come through Jesus. If if that's where you are, God is transforming you daily. He's transforming the way that you think and you act. And it's so important to be able to share that with the people who are around you. To just talk about it as naturally as you do, as, as naturally as you talk about um, struggles with your kids, as naturally as you do about things you're proud of with your kids, to just say, man, I'm, I'm wrestling with it. Have you ever thought about this? And just have that conversation. Andy Stanley is the preacher of the other North Point um, Community Church, uh, the, the one in Georgia. He's uh, written a book called Irresistible. Um, he's out traveling the country this year talking about what he's written in this book because it's a, it's a completely different kind of viewpoint of, of how we relate to the world around us. Andy Stanley's premise in that book is that, that Christianity since, um, since the uh, 1500s, since the uh, invention of the printing press and the Reformation, um, that Christianity has been communed in a text-based fashion. We've, we've said, you know what, we understand who Jesus is through the Bible because the Bible is in our language. We can understand it. Everything is driven from Scripture. That makes great sense if the culture understands the Old Testament and understands the New Testament and how Jesus fits in that. Andy Stanley's premise is that in the first century, 
Gentile Jews, when they became followers of Jesus, it was completely text-based. Jesus said over and over again, the prophets have said, uh, this was done to fulfill prophecy. It was all out of the Old Testament text. But when Gentiles, non-Jews, became followers of Jesus, it wasn't text-based at all. It was event-based. It was all about the resurrection, and it was all about how the people who believed in Jesus, how their lives changed. It was event-based, not text-based. We, as a church, Church Universal, I'm not talking about North Point, but the Church Universal, we've approached telling our story from a text-based fashion. And we've thought, you know what, I don't know enough about the Old Testament. I, I can't quote scripture. I, I don't have all that stuff, so I can't really tell my story. You know what, the culture that we live in right now is not a text-based culture. It's an event-based culture. People don't know scripture but they do want to know if your life has changed. They do want to know that Jesus was killed and that he was resurrected and how that impacts you. The challenge today is to talk about what you love and and what you love to talk about, to let that spill over because that's what it means to be gospel fluent. Let's pray. God, I, th- I thank you that you aren't done with us. The story that we think is our story is really your story and that uh, it's not concluded until we stand in your presence. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would give us courage and boldness to just talk about what you're doing in us. That it, uh, God, that it wouldn't be that we wouldn't let Satan fool us into thinking that it's uh, bigger than it is, that it's just simply talking about who you are and what you're teaching us and how you're loving us, that it would be the most natural thing in the world. It's as natural as talking about our kids, our grandkids. God, um, help us to see you in every corner of our lives, in everyday stuff of life to be able to communicate your truth in that way as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.